guaranteed to serve you a fine portion of meat and potatoes, however undercooked, on a semi-regular basis. And in the eternal struggle between Fox Bodies and F-Bodies, we are currently coming up. Fox Bodies, baby! <laughs> if you stick around to the end of the episode, we are going to share with you one of the hottest business models for information business and how you can implement it in your business in only a few hours. Plus, we'll share with you one of our favorite sources of personal income awesomeness, ways to get out of debt, ways to manage your finances. Ian, welcome to the program. What's going on in the news? Dan-O, big news going on over here, man. We are blowing up in California. We have had an awesome <laughs> month, man. It, just an awesome month. Our best month ever, in fact. And that's what we're going to talk about today is our 80K month. Plus, on top of it, little icing, we just sealed the deal, signed the contract on a $200,000 deal. Yeah. Does that get put into the month? Does that make it a 280K month? Uh, no, I think that that's actually going to be spread out over the next few months. But what that does mean for our business is that there's a chance, there's a chance that we might break into the millions this year. You know, I heard a rumor that Shogel, Mr. Sean Ogle, was hanging out with you in San Diego. How'd that go? He was uh, hanging out with our crew here the last uh, few days. He actually just got back on a plane. I had to drive him up to Long Beach, which is always exciting. Yeah, Sean was here. We had some drinks, and we had some more drinks, and we had some more drinks. We did some work during the day. So it was great to see Sean. Yeah, somehow I, th- I think you're selling that. I- I'm- if I know you, my sense is that you got, you were the drinks were coffee and other caffeinated beverages, and what you were doing was sitting the guy in front of a laptop and standing behind him with a uh, correct. Correct. Is that about right? No. <laughs> we had a we had a great time. We had some really good discussions, and um, and I think we've got a good uh, workflow plan here coming up. So cool. looking forward to uh, working with Sean. What's going on with you? Well, uh, I just spent the last week in New York City, one of the finest cities in the world, as you know. Uh, lots of my friends live there. And I got to tell you, Ian, right now I'm in probably the most location-independent period of my life that I've ever been in. The last year, I was very much anchored to the Philippines and our ambition to build a larger office there. The year before that, I was anchored very much to the California office, although still moving around quite a bit. Right now, I'm a little bit of a lost soul without a home and really enjoying that. Looking at a city from that perspective is a much different experience, you know? In a lot of ways, uh, New York City kind of struck me as a giant coping mechanism, you know? It's like... You have to make this awesome city because everybody's sort of stuck there, you know, because you got to go to your job. And New Yorkers just have very little time freedom relative to almost any other city that I've ever been to. The commute is very, very long. You're expected to work very long hours in New York City. There's a lot of kind of mandatory social events. I got the sense that New Yorkers, you know, where maybe in San Diego you could say you meet a new friend or, you know, a business partner. You kind of develop a relationship with them over the course of a couple months. That eight weeks in in, uh, New York City could easily take eight months. It just seems like people have so little disposable time there. Anyway, I, I really enjoy New York City, but, you know, I think I'm a country boy at heart, Ian, and that's part of the reason I really like San Diego and, and California lifestyle so much. Yeah, me as well. I'm kind of a towny guy. New York City, uh, I was there, what, about two months ago and No, thanks. Yeah, when you look at kind of value for your money, New York does have some pretty awesome people, and there's a lot of things going on there. But if you're not in those communities, like if you're not a stockbroker, if you're not a maybe like a cutting-edge student at Columbia, if you're not in the NGO, like, community like my friend works at the Rockefeller Foundation if you're not part of those communities that you know if your if your career doesn't really benefit from that you're kind of just in a really expensive 
pretty awesome place, but there's a lot of awesome places, you know? <laughs> and another thing about, like, everything that's really cool in New York, like, isn't super, super accessible. Just because the subway is, is workable doesn't mean that things are accessible. I mean, I kind of walked away from living in Brooklyn for a week thinking, I would much rather live in, in Montreal, which I feel like has a, a wide variety of things going on, but it's it's much more manageable. You can get to everything faster. And it's not so hustle, hustle, hustle. Kind of leaving out big thing for me, and, and I think for you too, which is this thing called wintertime, which is absolutely miserable, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't want to sound like a baby, but my, my face is, like, windswept, and my skin is red, and I, I've had, like, I've been using falling around box of tissues all week i mean i'm just not used to this kind of kind of weather so yeah winter's a big deal i think the bottom line is new york is a great place if you're on a career track that new york contributes to and that's why you know some of the best and the brightest are there but when you're doing things like internet marketing like what i'm focused on there's not a lot of value to being in new york city except that you're paying away a lot more of your profit to your apartment so i think i'm going to keep new york as just a stopover a layover spot for me and I don't think I'll be getting a condo in New York City anytime soon. True that. Let's just put it that way. All right, one other, one other quick news item is that uh, we were so unfortunate yesterday as to come across a news article about the 10 fastest growing businesses in San Diego. Tell us that story. So we came across an article. It's actually the San Diego Business Journal. It ranks the top 100 fastest growing businesses in San Diego. So we didn't participate this year, but if we would have participated this year, we would have been in the top 10 for fastest growing companies in San Diego. So that's pretty exciting. On the one hand, it's pretty cool. On the other hand, you got to wonder how many of the other the hustlers are out there that are actually making it happen aren't focused on submitting their stuff to the local paper. Oh, absolutely. Anyway, <laughs> All right, so in the, in the meat and potatoes, we're going to bring you guys into the inside of our business and talk about a few thoughts we have since this is our biggest month ever, and it's kind of a milestone for us. We've also been in business for three years, and we've been podcasting for one. But first, let's do some quick shout-outs. First, uh, we've got a voicemail from Josh Crocker. He's got a new product out. And uh, he called us up to tell us about it. So we're just going to run that. Again, if you want to leave a voicemail on this program, just give us a ring. It's 888-554-8428. All right, Josh, take it away. Hey, Dan and Ian. This is Josh Crocker calling from Taking Fun Seriously. I just wanted to take a minute to thank you guys for just getting the motivation out there and encouraging people to start getting out of their comfort zone and really laying out the track, just taking the time to kind of lead us through the steps of getting some of that done. Besides all my mumblings, I wanted to take a minute to thank you guys, Dan especially, because partially due to uh, the inspiration of you guys and also to our good friend David Crandall, I was able to launch my first info product this past week at my website at www.joshcrocker.com. And I want to thank you, Dan, for some of your insight that you gave me and just some of the feedback with that. So you guys are awesome. Keep up the good work. And I look forward to listening to you some more. Josh, holla, holla, bala. Way to launch your first product. That is officially bala. It's nice to get out there, start interacting with the real live market. Rockin', it's a killer deal. It's a killer price. I think it started off at 16 bucks. It's a good deal. Way to go, Josh. Thanks for listening to the show. Also want to give a shout-out to Rob at JetSetLife.tv, who recently interviewed me. I like Rob because he's got, well, he's got these, <laughs> have you seen his site? His videos are just ridiculous. It's um, Rob's this, this good-looking guy, right, that I see on, it looks like, looks like Brad Pitt. He's extraordinarily right? good-looking. And Gosh, even if you haven't seen him, uh, his voice is awesome. He sounds like a, just awesome. Like, I don't know. So, man crush good, territory. Nice, si- nice sight, good looking, yeah. good voice. I mean, What's geez. not to love? He took an interview with me. It was largely like kind of a biographical interview. And I was really impressed by the quality of the interview because he just recorded me. I didn't record it on my local side. And he told me that Cliff Ravenscraft from the podcast Answer Man hooked him up with a killer setup. I know that the podcast Answer Man is hooked up 
tons of awesome podcasters like Pat Flynn, Internet Business Mastery Guys, and now uh, JetSetLife.tv. So maybe we need to get Cliff on the phone, man. Cliff is the man. So his I like his podcast, actually, and it, his name has been coming up time and time again. So I just wanted to mention that. also want to give a quick shout-out to Chris from My Egg Noodles, a blogger, friend of the show. Uh, we're going to start doing a little bit of ad spot. We want to we want to promote his web design studio, Gutshot Studios. We'll start that on the next program. He made a generous contribution to our new Kiva group. So we're going to have a, a team of listeners to the show that are going to start to invest in entrepreneurs in the developing world. So we're going to start in the Philippines, and we're going to take a group of listeners. We've already got 10 signed up. 10 listeners to this podcast have already joined the group in which we will be collectively donating small amounts of money, starting at $25, and donating them to entrepreneurs in the developing world, and then we're going to track their progress. Yeah, and this is no joke. Any any small amount to get going really goes a long way in these developing countries, and as we know, obviously, and uh, we're going to help uh, help these guys out. Yeah, and it's just part of the mission of, of uh, the podcast in general, which is to build a community of entrepreneurs that can help each other out. And this is a fun way that you can do it with relatively low impact on your cash flow. But still, I think it can be very interesting and instructive for us going forward, finding ways to help more people. Jamie Marsden thought it was such a damn good idea that he signed up to the tune of $100. And Chris from My Egg Noodles is, is giving Benji's to the project. And me and you are going to cough up a couple Benji's as well. So we're going to have some uh, a decent amount of money to go and invest in some developing world entrepreneurs. So thank you so much for that. We're going to have more information about how you can participate. We'll have a link on the blog so you can go join. You don't have to give money to join and follow the progress. Follow us along for a little while and we'll see how it goes. And uh, thank you for our iTunes reviews. Milk Plant writes, best podcast ever. I love, love, love this podcast. My only complaint is it's not daily. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Milk Plant. I got the same complaint, man. Joel Runyon writes, one of the only podcasts I listen to. Short story, Dan and Ian rock. Each episode is packed with good info that's easy to listen to. They are practical, funny, and actually interact with their listeners. Each podcast feels less like a podcast and more like a party that Dan and Ian are hosting. Do yourself a favor and subscribe. You won't be disappointed. Well, do yourself a favor and listen to Joel Runyon. Short story, Joel Runyon rocks. Thanks, Joel. Blog of Impossible Things. We're going to mention you, buddy, in the meat and potatoes. Ow! Any more shouts we got here, man? Oh, hey, shout to the Lifestyle Guys. Lifestyleguys.com. New podcast. Giving us a shout. Love it. Check it out. Lifestyleguys.com. Got one question to answer today. Only one question. Well, we got a lot of questions, but we're only going to answer one. What's the best place? From Nathan. Nathan Wright. Recently discovered your podcast, and now I'm working my way backwards through all the episodes. We will be poisoning Nathan's fine brain. I'm fresh off a business trip to Rio with my wife. Sounds like a good time. We had a, such a great time being in a truly different culture. Your talk of Bali's culture, as well as the uh, low cost of living, has really grabbed my attention. I think it's grabbed a lot of people's attention, and for good reason. Bali is. I just like saying Bali is Bali. Sums it up. Can you point me in the direction where you know you could stay, or how to find an inexpensive home while there? Well, my advice there is to check out BaliExpat.com. Check out the Tropical MBA post, How to Run Your Business from Bali. We'll link up to that. You know, I think the best thing, Nathan, is to get there on the ground, arrange for a hotel, depending on what your budget is. There's a wide range of accommodations. Bali Expat and other sites, there's a lot of sites on the ground that can help you get that first month's accommodation. And then I think from there, you just start touring the neighborhood, seeing what you like on a motorbike, 
It won't take that long to get a feel for the place. Just keep one thing in mind that whatever you do find, you got to make a 12-month commitment, at least in most of the scenarios. So be prepared to put 12 months of cash up front. Let me make a suggestion for Nathan and everybody else that's hanging out in Southeast Asia. Get yourself comfortable riding a scooter, hopefully before you get there because traffic is insane. Go ahead and plop down on a couple weeks just as soon as you get there because a scooter is definitely the best way in my mind to see Southeast Asia and it does allow you to pretty much take off when and whenever you want and go to whatever neighborhood you want. And there's a lot of freedom associated with uh, hopping on the scooter. So get yourself comfortable with the scooter and start start. Yeah, agreed with that. When you have a scooter, you have a lot more freedom. It opens you up to doing more things rather than waiting for a cab and stuff like that. So good piece of advice there. Ian, I'm ready for the meat and potatoes, sir. Been in business now for three years and we've had our biggest month of revenue ever. Plus, we've signed our first huge deal. We talked actually a couple months ago about signing big deals, and it didn't actually get completed at that time. It got bumped a little bit, but we've actually put the ink to the paper now. So we're going to talk a little bit about our first major deal. You know, it's possible we're going to hit a million dollars this year. And do you think we can make it by the end of the year? Yeah, it's real possible. That was our stretch goal at the uh, beginning of the year. And I'm not sure for tax reasons whether or not we want to hit that million this year. So we might kind of defer some of that until next year. It's possible that we're going to be up there, which is pretty exciting. I want to share where we are in the business and like what our business looks like. I'm really interested in what kind of value this gives to the audience. I mean, we're just going to walk through how we see our ourselves in this position and what our team and business structure looks like you know just kind of put it out there there's there's a couple things like i I just want to be clear about when we say like we're going to make a million dollars in revenue this year you know we're still in investment startup mode every year now we've doubled our revenue when we say we make a million dollars a year i think the impression is is that we're getting rich off of this or something and it's not even close man thing to understand as an entrepreneur we've made an ascetic decision to like make less and invest in our business to try to be the owners of a big business rather than take either like try to milk more cash out of the business for personal income or to take the other route, which is to like have a job. So, I mean, we talk about these big numbers, but we're investing most of this money and we have a very overhead intensive business. You know, my experience in business is that most businesses are overhead intensive and you can get a little bit away from that when you look at some information marketer marketing businesses and stuff like that. When I go out there and like look at MMA kind of stuff, mergers and acquisitions, like when you look at businesses on Craigslist, people, they're spending a lot of money to make money. And I think that's important to understand how to navigate that as an entrepreneur. So one other thing we want to note before we sort of jump in and like share with you what's going on in our business is this issue I've been thinking a lot of, of survivor's bias. You know, there's a lot of beef people have with, you know, our community of business coaches and stuff, because what ends up happening is you, you do something one month, you say like, okay, we made 80K. And then you turn around and you say, I made 80K. Here's how I did it, right? The problem with that is that it's very difficult to understand understand what element of luck happened because there could be a lot of people who did the same things that we did and then failed and then they're not turning around to gloat about it so that's the one issue with survivors bias what our hope is here is to add a little bit of transparency to the situation let you know where we're coming from so hopefully you can get a better picture of how you might go about it this is mostly about inspiration and community and like specific tactics or processes that you might be able to adopt into your business the bottom line with all this stuff most success comes from sort of a unique situation it's tough to have a formulaic approach to it or a system 
that you can just sort of like I don't think anybody can just take our system and adopt it into their lives and all of a sudden have an 80k month in three years because our business is unique to our situation to like the unique privileges that we've had to the unique relationships that exist in our lives and all these things are unique and special the implication of us saying like here's how we did it isn't that if you just copy what we do you're gonna have the same outcome but rather to say here's just some information like you know what i mean like there are some things that are going to make sense for you to model and there are some things that you're going to want to learn from our mistakes or some things that you're going to want to avoid like the plague it can be difficult from us being in this position to understand how that all shakes out for the individual listener so i think that that's what survivors bias is about it can be so difficult to talk about this stuff because so many successes are so singular i've met so many podcast listeners that have like i've met them they've never commented on a post they're running successful businesses that are lifestyle businesses they're not turning around to tell other people about it and there's reasons there's competitive reasons why you wouldn't want to do that there's also the issue of you know privilege and singularity like you're blessed with certain talents in that allowed you to start a business that you can't necessarily communicate into success principles or a system and i think that's why as we get more and more encouraged by the audience to start a premium membership group and where people can have greater access to us and like work together on their projects that it's it's it has to be focused on interaction feedback and inspiration with other great entrepreneurs people who are willing to be honest with you and not systems you know yeah. not like fail-proof systems that you know just like kind of like buy into this program and like we're all going to teach you how to do an ebook kind of thing I, I think that can be really valuable but i don't think that we can really do that i don't think that we really feel comfortable taking that route because of the survivor's bias everybody's got a different situation right where this we're just there to support everyone and hopefully everybody can support us and right. uh, make it happen. I think when I look at us being in business for three years, I read a post from Joel Runnan this week, and he talked about winning second place in a, you know, I think it was an 8K run. Really impressive, right? But it turns out that, you know, that particular day he showed up and there wasn't hardly any competition there. And he just happened yep. to get second place. I thought a lot about that. And it's this kind of common maxim of, of 90% of it is just sort of showing yeah. up. And I think I think a lot about that. And I think about how luck plays a role. And when you expose yourself to more good opportunities, you know, your chances of lucking out are going to be higher. When you look at our individual cases, we've been showing up. And in your case, you've been in business for five years. In my case, six. Every single day, we've been showing up doing business. Something good is going to happen after six years. I think a lot bad has happened. Even in this past year, even though we've had a gangbuster year, we've exposed ourselves to a lot of bad luck too. So yeah. showing up is so critical. That's starting your business. That's starting your blog. That's actually being there to take advantage of the opportunities. That's actually talking to people that's actually caring and giving a shit and having some kind of trajectory i think back to showing up yeah we've been in business basically for three years been in this kind of environment for five but even before that i mean i had my first job when i was 14 years old uh, before i could actually legitimately get paid money and that was just about me showing up to this place every day and being like hey can i hang out with you guys can i contribute in some way and that's because i had a particular goal in mind one of the reasons why i've never uh, delivered pizzas is because not because it's not an honest living because it does doesn't provide consistent trajectory with what I have in mind for myself. I think it makes sense to show up, but only showing up where you really want to see yourself going forward. I don't think it makes sense to show up as a pizza delivery guy if you want to be a podcaster because it's not really pushing you in that direction. Where I intersect with Ian's point on this is you got to know what you want. You know, what you think your your vehicle for getting there is going to be. It's going to be some sort of business, some sort of enterprise. You got to have an idea for that. You know, no one's going to give that to you. I mean, I wouldn't 
buy that from somebody if they're suggesting it to you. Put it that way. You gotta know what you're gonna do or interact with some people that have some ideas and that can really help you hammer it out. Dig out something, what that vehicle is gonna look like. Figure out where you wanna go and then only engage discourse that's gonna get you there. I think that's why you don't see a lot of entrepreneurs wasting their time with tit-for-tat criticism because you have already made your value judgment, which is you know where you wanna go. And at that point, it makes sense to sort of censor your engagements and only interact with people that are helping you get along that way. And I think Ferris talks a little bit about that with media fasts. Only focusing on media and entertainment and things that are going to sort of bring you to where you want to go. On the psychological side, you know, we've pulled out a couple of things that I think have helped us. But what, the way that we see it, care, giving a shit, showing up. Our pivot technique, like we talked about last week in episode 42, lots and lots of hustle, Ian. We spend a lot of time pumping each other up. The stuff that you have to go through, sometimes I look at my email inbox, Ian, and there's so much crap in there, so much challenge. You just feel like kind of crawling into a hole. The other part of me says, you know what? If you weren't solving these problems, like you wouldn't be making any money. You wouldn't be building anything valuable. And if you find yourself shying away from sort of hard problems, I think that's a good time to sort of take a second look. And I haven't been a part of a business yet that makes good livings for a lot of people that doesn't solve hard problems every day. Problems that are emotionally difficult to solve, frankly. If you find yourself in sort of a cocoon away from that stuff, that's a warning sign. That's a sign that you're not engaging the right kinds of problems. Because I, I feel like the most valuable problems are the, uh, the kinds that are difficult. Yeah, one thing I was thinking about uh, the other day is giving a shit. I'm very passionate about the products that we sell. And I think that that trickles down into our uh, sales team. And I think that obviously trickles down to everybody in our organization is that I really believe in what we're selling. And I've been passionate about it for the past three years. I've innovated on it and I communicate that to our customers. And because I give a shit, our customers give a shit. So I think it's really important to care. I, I, I've cared 110% about everything we've been doing. And if I don't right. care about it, we don't do it. And I think actually that plays right into the struggle for margins. We have to continually innovate, we find, in order to maintain our margins. You can really lose your ambition to do that if you don't really care about being the best. I know, Ian, you have a huge complex about being the number one supplier in our industrial industry. I think that contributes us to being able to maintain our margins. Yeah, I mean, margins are a really important part of, uh, part of any business. We are constantly battling suppliers, protecting our margins, and that's really important. And as you know, competitors come out with the same product, you have to innovate to maintain your margin, to get creative with your product line. So I think margins is are, are one of the most important parts of uh, running a business is making sure that you're not selling X product for $15 and only making $5 on it if that's your main product unless you're selling millions of them, which we're not. So we're continuously uh, analyzing our margins and, and making sure that they're good to go. We're coming out with a bunch of new products that we used the pivot technique to come up with. So basically, we are taking some ridiculous margins on this new product. And the reason we're doing that is because I want to make sure that this industry, this market is sustainable. A lot of people would come in and say, okay, let's be conservative about this. Let's just like make enough money to fund the project and like see if it's going to work. That's not my approach at all. My approach is to take the most ridiculous margins possible and see how much we can get away with because those margins are going to fund the rest of the program. They might even fund a new pivot. So I think that's important. Yeah, and right after this pivot point, I have a hustle written down in our show notes, and I'm laughing to myself because this one of the new products that we created out of a pivot, uh, we're setting, we've been hustling this kind of like national magazine to carry our products, and uh, 
Like, we've kind of failed spectacularly. Like, every time we send them something, like, there's, like, a misspelling or, like, it's late or, like, we've just been awful with this person. And it's some, it, I guess it's, it, the comedy is that we keep going back to them, even though they're kind of, like, they think we're idiots. And it's weird how sort of the tide's turning. Like, eventually they're going to have to do something for us because there's something of, the, there's something to be said about persistence, but there's also a little bit of, like, an emotional connection that happens when you sort of struggle with suppliers and when you struggle with potential partners. You failed miserably. Talk about failing. Oh, man. In the last month, we failed really hard on a couple things. But this is one of them. We keep sending this potential distributor our products, and every time we send them it, uh, something gets screwed up, maybe in the warehouse or, or whatnot, or with the product. And, and she is just like, she hasn't given up on us, which is pretty cool, because I think she sees the potential in our products. They're just not there yet. They're not the quality that they would like to see. So what we keep doing is we keep approaching her keep sending our products and she's still interested in it and so what's going to happen is eventually we're going to sell her a product it's going to meet her price point it's going to meet her image of what she wants and it's also going to meet the quality and then I think we're going to sell these things like hotcakes. So I think persistence and hustle is very important. Another instance where we've been hustling and failing, I have a professional blogger that's been very good to us over the years um, for one of our niche product lines. Uh, she had a uh, spot with CBS Morning, the CBS Morning Show. And so she had asked us to send her some products uh, so she could focus on them during the show. So what did we do? We sent the wrong product to her twice. Uh, oh! Yeah. Right, golden opportunity to really make it big, to get on mainstream media, and what do we do? We send her the wrong product. So, talk about failing. I mean, we couldn't have screwed up harder. Now, as it, as it, as it is, she's uh, very good to us. She understands the situation. Uh, luckily, we were able to overnight her son. They'd get there on time. Man, talk about failing. But persistence and hustle is what actually got that product there. It opens up that kind of psychological bond. It's not just like all professionalism. You know, you're actually sort of forge a relationship through that. Um, one thing I just thought of is, is hustle is a corollary of hard. Like you wouldn't have to hustle if this stuff, you know, just wasn't so hard. And this is kind of like the retrospective episode. We come on to this podcast and we talk about five principles and like five tips and all this stuff. And those things are all true, but one thing we don't come on and talk about very often is how much struggle it is to do this. This is really hard. I believe in, in a lot of cases when the market awards you with extraordinary wealth or income, it's because you've done something that no one else could manage to do. It's not like you're you, you're more clever in exploiting the market. It's actually that you are building things that are harder to build. You're delivering things that are harder to, to deliver. On the simplest note, and in an information respect, I one time read an article by Steve Pavlina, and he said, the reason I get paid so much is because I perform a much more difficult service. It's much harder to deliver like a world-class personal development blog than it is to do, like he named some other relatively impressive thing. And it's interesting to me, like that really struck me because it's so easy to to not think of that kind of information delivery as a difficult thing to do. Because what is it? It's just a personal development blog, right? But not really. I mean, if you look at what Steve Pavlina has done, imagine someone else replicating that. Imagine sitting down and saying, I'm going to compete with Steve Pavlina. I'm going to deliver a better product. Would not be easy would not be easy at all yeah and because he's done something so difficult he's been rewarded extraordinarily we've spent a lot of time on the phone this week this this month having heart to hearts like figuring out tough decisions like how to run our business figuring out who's going to get paid what who's going to be involved who's not it's hard it's hard stuff yeah uh, and it's fun it's fun too but just to say if you're having like a really hard time 
getting your business off the ground or, or making this stuff work. That, I feel like that's been the story of my life for the last three years. So. Well, not necessarily somewhere in the word hard. Somewhere along these lines is the word hate. The amount of people that, that hate me, that might hate you. I don't know. Those people are, are kind of mounting. And it's not, I don't think, because we're bad people. It's because uh, haters are going to hate. And uh, I read a post this week that was uh, full of haters. And I read posts all the time that are full of haters. So uh, if you think it's going to be easy and you think people aren't going to hate on you and your style and what you're doing, uh, they're absolutely going to hate on you. But one of the most valuable things that you can do, the people that are hating on you aren't doing is you can open yourself up for that kind of criticism because most of the people that hate uh, aren't opening aren't opening themselves up to the kind of criticism that would allow them to get hated on. I applaud everybody out there that has put anything up on the internet or has done anything or has shipped any product uh, long enough or worked hard enough to get hated on because if you're getting hated yeah. on, you're doing the right thing. So. Round of applause for everybody that's got hated on, everybody that's got yelled at. Uh, I really, I really think that's a cool thing. I think it's really cool. Hustle hard and hate. I mean, we're coming together with the three H's here, and I didn't expect you to bring up the hate point, but it's certainly one that's salient in my heart. You know, there's, it's incredible doing this podcast. You open yourself up for the most ridiculous praise. I mean, it's incredible the kinds of the caliber of people that have actually come to meet us and say thank you like so much and these are people that are like totally legit people that have like businesses that are much more impressive than us thanking us for doing our best to help and then on the end, other end of it people are going to look at us and say a lot of people have said things like well you have a privileged situation you guys are dishonest you're idiots uh, you're unrealistic you know i mean the one thing that i think about is me and you are probably more open to criticism than uh, the average person that's because Criticism has a real import to us, like it can actually really benefit us. I would say 90% of the most valuable criticism we've received is from people that are walking the walk and people that are giving positive criticism. Like a guy like uh, Jamie Marsden comes to mind. Uh, he's been giving us great criticism about uh, things that we can do better to improve our business. Oftentimes it, it's interesting because like, you know, haters do it under the guise of like trying to make things better. But the people that actually positively impact our lives aren't haters. They're the people that are out there trying to build great businesses as well. Those are the people that are giving us the feedback that really counts. Okay, so you know we've gotten off on a, an emotional heart-to-heart -heart here, but one thing I wanted to talk about, uh, Ian, is kind of like the state of our business. Because last episode, one thing that struck me that we said is we said, I asked you at one point in the program, how many people do you have working for us? Like 15 people in some capacity. We said 15 people working for us. Well, we don't actually have 15 people on our payroll. Um, and so I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about the actual overhead <clears throat> structure of our business right now. Who's contributing? Sure. And what that looks like, because I think it's kind of interesting, like $80,000, you know, I'm not a super experienced business guy, especially as an entrepreneur. So when you think of that number, it's kind of hard to think about like where it comes from, like who makes that happen, what, you know, who makes that money. So let's just talk about that a little bit to just show, just to show what our business looks like from a structural perspective and you know i think that can help people to visualize maybe what what they could build if they're so interested in being a masochist yeah <laughs> is a masochist someone who wants to feel pain yeah that's right because i think that okay then this if you want to be a masochist here's a potential structure that you could bring into your life just walk us through what you've got going on your end you're you're the ceo of the business or the managing director is your technical title i guess that means we've got three board members one of them which is you runs the thing and you're responsible in our organization for the revenue goal. So if we didn't get to, uh, you know, our goal, I think was three quarters of a million this year, 
we would be looking to you for answers. Tell us about the team that you've pulled together uh, in the business so far. So first of all, that's why I'm the one with the high blood pressure. Obviously, we've talked about that before. But, yes. Uh, yeah, Thank so you. Ian, uh, managing partner, the one with the high blood pressure, that's me, the one that's responsible for And you are compensated handsomely for said blood pressure. Absolutely. Okay, so one thing about uh, 80K to begin with is uh, we sell very expensive products. Uh, we're not selling $10 products. So that's that's really important to understand about how you get to that somewhat large income or revenue level. Let's start off with our San Diego office. I'm just going to tell you a little bit about that office. First of all, we've got four full time salary positions in our office here. Uh, we've got one sales rep. He, ha- he handles a lot of our sales. He also does some of our marketing and he is my definitely go-to guy, uh, right-hand man. Then we've got one full-time designer. He works on iterations. Uh, he works on new products with me as well. And then we've got one warehouse guy. He's the guy that ships all of our products. Uh, he assembles some of our products as well. And then we've got me. And so that kind of makes up our team here in downtown San Diego. And then also you've got an intern. You've got four full-time salaries between the CEO, the rep, the designer, and the warehouse guy. But you've also got a fifth guy working with you. That's right. How did you get him involved? So we also have a design intern, and he is also uh, somewhat of a superstar. And I think hopefully we're going to find a way for him to stay on board here in the near future. But we found him uh, through a school program. Uh, and it's worked out quite well. He works about 30 hours a week. He's a great contributor. He's learning a lot about our process, and uh, I think it's going to really help him out when he's got to go get a job, and that might be with us sometime here in the near future. I could talk a little bit about what's going on on my end of the business. We have a full-time marketing manager who's me. That's a pretty vague title. We've Actually, that's the first time we've ever given me a title. Do you have anything else? I would, I would prefer to be the director of Awesome, but apparently there has not been enough Awesome coming from my department in order to warrant the title. So hopefully uh, that's my future ambition. You know, last year, about about eight months ago, we did the Tropical MBA program with a budget from our company to bring on someone to learn what I was doing. And that's turned into a full-time webmaster position that currently uh, Sean is, is running. Beyond that, we've got a full-time PHP a web developer in the Philippines that helps us develop our e-commerce stores. We've also got a half-time web graphic designer that does things like logos, graphic presentations for emails, all different kinds of things, really, WordPress, tweaks. And that graphic designer is full-time but shared with you no know, other projects that I'm doing on the side. We've got large consulting projects with partner organizations essentially like we develop websites for our company but we also like everybody's got a bunch of companies it's kind of messy you know all the partners sort of seem to have other things side projects going on we kind of split the budget of the team with other people and actually that cross fertilization has been added tons of complexity into our business in terms of you know there's been complexity from every level from the accounting level to resource allocation complexity who gets the time which business is more important kind of complexity but it's also been really nice because sharing budget allows you when you said we've got 15 people working for us those people aren't all on our on our payroll necessarily but they kind of work for partner organizations which helps us to leverage them as working for us it's complex but it allows us to sort of have more people involved early on where we couldn't necessarily afford to have 15 people working for us at such an early stage in the company it's complex even to talk about but i think it's important to bring up because it's not so simple all the time like it's 
dirty. Like we've got like all kinds of partnerships everywhere and like we're splitting up our books. We're sharing resources with different organizations. Um, a lot of times it's really messy growing a business. It's certainly been my experience so far. I mean, most entrepreneurs that I know, they have their hands in like four or five different pots and it's, it's no exception with us. Absolutely. Yeah. Another part of our business obviously is our China organization, which we share with sister companies, I guess you could call it. Um, and yeah. we've got a sourcing director over there. We've got a logistics director. Uh, we've got a design director. And then we've got two designers over there. And so that's been a great shared resource. And then uh, on top of it, up in uh, California here, we've also got a warehouse where we've got a small production facility with quite a few people working out of there. Uh, and we do projects with them also. And that's a partner organization. So the production facility is something that we, we buy Correct. products from them. So we're not actually funding the overhead of that. But we do have about a thousand square feet of storage space, racked out warehouse space where we're keeping our goods stored. That's a flex space. So if we do get a QVC deal, cross your fingers, um, we can flex that out and rent more space. We also have an office in California, which is where you are currently working. Um, a, a pretty traditional nine to five right now, yeah? Oh uh, yeah, somewhat. I mean, uh, it's Friday at around one o'clock in the afternoon and I'm sitting here in my pajamas talking to you. So I wouldn't uh, say it's totally nine to five, but uh, <laughs> yeah, in that office, that's another shared space. Uh, we actually lease that out from a very cool company that has been gracious enough to let us use one of their rooms. And so that's a very cool space that we plan to uh, hang out in for quite some time. This is a very uncohesive block of information, but there's two points that I want to pull out of it. One is that we've got a lot of overhead, and that's a big challenge in our businesses. We are so pumped up about what we're doing, and we're ambitious, and we believe that we can grow it bigger. We're reinvesting. You can see that. Like, there's so many people employed. There's so many strategic partnerships having been made. Right now, this isn't just like a cash flow spin business. And part of the reason for that is because we do have three partners. We have three directors. It's not good enough to have a million dollars in revenue. It's like not going to cut it for our business. Like we want to get it more into like the five range. That's one thing to bring out. The second thing to talk about is how just innately messy this stuff is. Like, yes, the next episode, we're going to talk about five principles. Like the episode after that, we're going to tell a story. Uh, the episode after that, it's going to be like five things not to do. But like right now, this episode is just to share with you like how much of a cluster all this stuff can be, you know, like. The business is extraordinarily complicated. You know, when we sat down three years ago, Ian, and we opened up our first Google document and we wrote in our first three passwords, like our GoDaddy account, our hosting account, and our PayPal account, it was like, here we go, man. Here we go. Right. And like now, I'm sitting at a place where we've got all these people, like a lot of those 15 people, like I haven't, I haven't even met some of those guys that work in your office. It's just to say that like this stuff, it doesn't always happen in the conventional way. And so that is to say, believe in the opportunities that you see in front of you. You do have a unique privilege. You are a unique person. You are in a unique situation. Try to find out what that is and just, and believe in yourself and, and, and go for it. You know? Yeah. And one thing here, I'm sure that after we've described this, I mean, it, it was a little bit messy, but hopefully one thing that you guys can uh, see about what we're talking about here is like I'm picturing the lonely guy that's been plugging away for the past year making progress but he feels really lonely one of the things that um, Dan and I do is uh, we talk every day 
And I think that's been really important for our success is because we've been able to lean on each other and we've been able to build this business together. So I would highly recommend shacking up with some kind of partner, even if it isn't equity. Maybe you guys just share a space together, share ideas, but it's been really instrumental for, for us to grow our business because uh, we've been talking all day and we've been hanging out all day. So I think that's a that's a really important uh, part of our success is that uh, we've been close in proximity in our thinking throughout this whole thing. And one other thread, Ian, that is important is like, don't be scared to get it, make it a little messy. And that's been a principle we've talked about quite a bit. Like, because people sell automation so hard on the internet, it's like, don't ever do a physical product. I mean, we've even said that. Don't ever like put your phone number out there. Don't ever do anything that requires you to do customer service. But that's what kept me away from doing something like virtual staff finder. Chris Ducker stepped up and said, I'm okay to make it a little messy. I'll get on the phone with people. Boom, like great entrepreneurial move. Like that guy is making a great product because he's willing to make it a little messy. You know, we were able to start this business because we were like sharing resources with another company. That's not the cleanest move in the history of the planet. But it was we were able to get off the ground because of that. It's on the internet. It's so easy to get this impression like, hey, like just apply my system, like blog enough, build an audience, you know, blah, blah, blah. Hey, that, that's one way to work. It's, it's not always going to be so simple, not always going to be so clean. Don't be scared to go for the messy stuff because at the end of the day, Ian, we've got this business on our hands. If we want to make it clean, we go out and sell the thing and then we get the cash from it and then we've got cash to, to go do something else. So it's not always so clean and don't be scared to like get your hands dirty a little bit for a couple of years to make something happen. And years, we're talking about years here. You know, that's the time frame we're talking about. Um, that's the time frame things generally happen in. One other thing too to add to this is that I'm really looking forward on our end to providing some kind of premium content uh, to you guys out there because I would really like to share more about our story in detail kind of behind the curtain and let you guys see how we actually built this thing and also hopefully give you guys some ideas about how to build your own thing moving forward because I think one of the things that I learned from the four-hour work week is it's not very in-depth and so what I think that we can provide to a lot of people out there is in-depth access to us and also in-depth access to our story. For me, learning is living and so a lot of times growing up and starting this business and things like that uh, throughout my life I've learned from example. And I think that's probably one of the best ways to learn is to actually get a full view of what's going on so you can figure out if you want to participate in that, if you want to do something like it, something different. So I'm really looking forward to shedding some more light on our situation and how we've grown this business and how it can help you grow your business. Yeah, and again, we couldn't be coming with more disclaimers about how much of a pain in the ass, how much difficult this is, how much you're going to get hated on if you do all this stuff, and how much money you're going to have to sacrifice in the short term in order to do this. Like, like Ian and I have said, we're not big ballers. Uh, we're not able to drive around in dream cars uh, right now because we do take a lot of fiscal sacrifice in order to be entrepreneurs. And I think that's something that's very common to the entrepreneurial lifestyle. You know, you can develop larger platforms, but you see tons and tons of entrepreneurs sacrificing fiscally in order to build something great. A lot of times that's what it's going to take because a lot of the people listening to this that haven't made the leap yet, you know, in the next five-year term, they could make a lot more cash flow, cash money, baby, if they stayed in that job. Making the switch to entrepreneur can sometimes require that sacrifice of, of short-term cash flow. Uh, man, we, we could probably talk about this for all day long, uh, but I think we need to uh, do a, our listeners a service and get it over with and move on to the quick tips, tricks, and or funny jokes section. So uh, I got two quick chips. Tips I want to share with you guys. You had a unique experience, Ian. You were able to look into the back end of a WordPress blog, which I don't think you've ever done that before. Oh, uh, come on. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your experience 
with WordPress this week and uh, as it pertains to the hot membership model. Everybody's talking about membership sites. They're awesome. Continuity income. Let us know about what you've been up to. One of the things that I learned about this week was uh, Wishlist, which is a WordPress plugin, and that's a back-end membership program. The reason I learned about this was uh, through you and Mr. Sean Ogle, because he has launched his Overcoming the Fear of Uncertainty, which is OvercomingTheFearOfUncertainty.com, on this membership platform. And I think it's one that we'll probably use in the future. So I think it's uh, OvercomingUncertainty.com, isn't it? Just Google that, Shaz. Yeah, Overcoming it. Uncertainty, you're right. Yeah, it's a good thing you don't pick domain names, by the way. Yeah, I picked one yesterday. What do you think about that? <laughs> it was a good one, yeah. So uh, go check out Sean Ogle's um, new site, but uh, tell us a little bit more about Wishlist. Yeah, Wishlist is, uh, couldn't be an easier way to implement like super high-level functionality into your WordPress blog. Essentially, it's a sophisticated way to set up paywalls um, so that you can have premium paid content for your members, allow them to interact with each other and you. Uh, trickle out content based on a, a timing and continuity system. So obviously, um, you know, if you have a membership site, you don't want to necessarily deliver all the content at once because you want to keep your customers coming back over a period of time. Also, um, you know, you want to sort of structure the experience for your users in such a way, you know, like implement this information. Don't just go out and, um, you know, read it all at once and then like bounce out of the membership site after a month or whatever. This is a system, you know, this is a, a process that we want you to walk through with our site. That's the point of it. Um, so, yeah, couldn't be an easier way or a cheaper way to implement ridiculous amounts of functionality. Check out uh, a wishlist membership software. It's not too expensive for what it does. We'll have a link see for that on the blog. The second thing I've been reading a lot about this week, uh, Baker from Man vs. Debt posted an absolutely epic post the other day about his product launch failure and uh, ultimately his success. Got me thinking a little bit about personal finance. Been talking with family members being home in the U.S. Lots of talk about, you know, finances and, and how people are organizing that. Really brings me back to, I would say, my golden year of entrepreneurship, the year that we started this company, and uh, really made me remember of one resource that was hugely inspiring to me, which was Dave Ramsey. And listening to his podcast on a daily basis was like a spiritual exercise for me, quite literally. Every day, listening to people trying to change their lives, trying to make uh, profound financial decisions, trying to set up systems of discipline in their life that allowed them to make judgments in the moment that are in their best interest overall. Yeah, that's totally right. And you got to think about that every time you plopped on a $20 bill on a counter. Is this contributing to my overall happiness? Is this contributing to my overall financial goals? When it comes to things like finances and business, discipline and planning for the future, absolutely critical. Well, Dan, it was good to talk to you today. I hope everyone enjoyed us opening up our hearts, and I hope we can do a little bit more of this on the program. Oh, man, I'm lightheaded from talking too much. I think we need to get back to the five tips ASAP. Hey, everybody, thanks for listening. Don't be shy. We've got a mailing list, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Go there, get yourself signed up, and we'll keep you up to date on everything.